Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. A text that should be very familiar to most folks. I'm going to be reading today from the ESV because I really prefer how it words this text. And in the same region, there were shepherds out of the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them considering the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Here we are on the cusp of Christmas. We're staring Christmas Day in the face. If you haven't finished your shopping, you need to be panicking a little bit. But you know, Christmas time is a time of great joy, and people speak of things like peace on earth and goodwill towards men. It's a time of benevolence and charity. It's a time that promotes harmony. It's a time of gathering. It's a time of celebration. And most of us here, I think, can all recognize and understand the reason for such joyous celebration. I think we all would recognize the commemoration of Christ's birth and the significance of Jesus being born into the world. I think most of us can recognize the significance of God taking on flesh, coming in human form for the purpose of redeeming all of humanity from the curse and the condemnation of sin. And so... This morning, as we look ahead to Christmas Day, I want us to consider the good news of Christmas. I want us to really ponder what is the good news and how does the good news affect each of us individually. As we are in this season of peace and harmony, of joy, of celebration, what are we celebrating? What is the good news? How does it affect us? And to consider the good news of Christmas, we're going to examine this text in Luke 2 because here you have the initial proclamation of the good news of Christmas. The very first proclamation of the birth of Christ. Now we've had the angels telling Mary and Joseph what would be. You've had Gabriel speaking to the priest Zacharias about his son and the significance of what will be. But this is the first proclamation that good news has entered the world. 
So today, let's look at this text and look at the good news of Christmas. The first thing we see in this passage this morning is the divine revelation of Christ. You cannot miss this aspect. You have a divine revelation. God sent a divine messenger to bring word that Christ had been born. You see that in verse 9. Verse 9, God sends an angelic messenger to declare Jesus has been born. Christ, that is the Messiah, the Savior, has entered the world. The good news has come. Now, verse 10, the angel expounds upon that. In verse 10, we see the angel spoke of good news that results in great joy. See, that's the proclamation. That's the divine revelation of Christ. The divine revelation of Christ is this. Good news has come. That good news will bring you great joy. That is what the angel said had happened. There's good news. He goes on to explain the good news in the very next verse, in verse 11. The good news that results in great joy is this. The Savior has been born. You see, here's the good news of Christmas. Salvation has entered the world. The Savior has come. The reality is, the source of salvation for all of mankind has come. That's the good news. That's the good news that brings great joy. The good news isn't necessarily that a king has been born. The good news is not necessarily that there's a new child in the world. The good news is not necessarily that prophecies have been fulfilled. The good news specifically is this. Salvation has come. Salvation has entered the world. Throughout the Christmas narrative, if you go back and look at this, it is entwined with salvation. If you go back and you look at what Gabriel told Mary, if you go back and examine what he spoke to Joseph, if you look at the pretext of what he says to Zechariah, if you examine the statements of the coming birth, they're inundated with messages of salvation. For example, in Matthew 1, where the angel speaks to Joseph, Joseph says, Mary, or the angel tells Joseph, Mary will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The Christmas narrative is inundated with the message of salvation from sin. It is not simply the narrative of the king of the Jews being born. It is not simply a festive story of God entering into the world. It is the story of salvation being brought down to man. The purpose for which Jesus entered the world was simply to save people from their sins. That's the Christmas narrative. That's the good news of Christmas. This is exactly what Jesus declared himself as he conducted his earthly ministry. He said there in Luke 19, I have come that I might seek and to save those who are lost. He went on and told his disciples, I have come into this world as a servant to God's redemptive plan that I might give myself a ransom for many. I have a purpose. 
The purpose is to redeem humanity from the curse and the condemnation of sin. Good news that brings great joy. Salvation has entered the world. That's the good news of Christmas. That's the good news. This is good news, my friends, because the Savior brings peace with God. The good news is salvation has come that we might be at peace with God. Without the Savior, there's no peace with God. Without Jesus, peace with God cannot be a reality. In fact, the Bible teaches that those who are without Jesus are alienated from God, enemies of God. They don't even know God. Yet through Christ and his work, we can have peace with God. That's the good news the angel explains there in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, he says. Now some of your versions you're reading will say glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. That phrase there actually is rendered peace to men of goodwill. And the most accurate rendering is what I read to you this morning. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he is well pleased. See, the angel says, I bring you good news that will bring you great joy. The good news is the source of salvation has come. The reason that brings you great joy is because you can have peace with God. And peace with God comes to those with whom he is well pleased. Well, what does that mean? It simply means this. Those who approach God through faith in Jesus have peace with God. The good news of Christmas is that although I am guilty of sin, although I'm vile and contaminated, and in my own merit, in my own work, in my own righteousness, I fall short, salvation entered the world. Jesus came that through his work on the cross, his death as the punishment, the payment for my sin, his resurrection from the dead, I can be redeemed out of the condemnation of sin and be made at peace with God. There's great joy in being at peace with God. And peace comes to those who come to God through Jesus. You see, the source of eternal peace has entered the world. And peace has become a reality for all people who will come to God through the Prince of Peace. Through faith in Jesus. The angel declared, I bring you good news. That good news brings great joy. The good news is salvation has come that you might have peace with God. There's a divine revelation of good news. That through Jesus we can have peace with God. The Bible teaches that. For example, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have peace with God through your merit. You don't have peace with God through your church membership. You don't have peace with God through your good works. You have peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he entered the world to bring salvation. Peace with God has been provided through the work of Jesus. His shed blood on the cross. Coming to peace with God requires us to come to faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Coming to faith in Jesus brings us to a place of peace with God so that we can experience a peace and joy from God. That's that great joy the angel spoke of 
on that night. Romans 15, 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Joy and peace from God because you're at peace with God because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ who was born on that night. That's the good news proclaimed by the angels. The good news of Christmas that brings you great joy is that you can have peace with God because of who Jesus is and what he has done. At Christmas time, we speak of peace and joy, and rightfully so, my friends, as we celebrate Jesus as the source of peace and joy, the one who was born into this world that he might die for us, be resurrected, and impart to us eternal life. That's the good news of Christmas. We can spend a lot of time reading the birth narrative of Christ. We can spend a lot of time setting up nativity scenes. We can spend a lot of time decorating and having parties and doing a lot of things. But when it comes right down to it, Christmas is about good news. And the good news is simply this. Salvation entered the world. You can have peace with God. I want you to notice something else about this divine revelation of Jesus that happened. The angel spoke of good news that results in great joy. But I want you to take note of the audience. You see, God sent the good news to ordinary people. God sent this good news to just plain, regular people. He announced the birth of the Savior to a group of shepherds. Now, shepherds held a very humble position in society. They were not particularly prestigious. It wasn't necessarily a career everyone sought. Culturally speaking, socially speaking, they weren't very high on the ladder. They had a lowly and humble estate in life. And on the night Christ is born and good news needs to be proclaimed, God has a world full of people he can announce the good news to. And he chooses a group of lowly, humble, ordinary, hardworking fellows to give the good news to. Just ordinary people. God proclaimed the good news of salvation to ordinary people people. You sit here and you think about that and you think, well now, what about those chief priests who oversaw the religious welfare of the nation of Israel, who functioned there at the temple? I mean, goodness gracious, they were such religious leaders, but God did not send them the good news. But there were all those Pharisees who lived so righteously, they kept all the law, they kept all the rules of Moses' law. They even added more rules to make sure they were righteous and holy before people. But God did not send them the good news. You think about the scribes, the experts in the Old Testament writings, the experts in the law, the ones who knew the writing of the prophets. But God did not send them the good news. You think about those powerful Governmental officials, those in the Roman Empire, those who were appointed by the Romans to rule over the Jews, those who wielded influence and power, but God did not send them the good news. 
You consider those who are wealthy and prestigious in society, who were influencers over culture. God did not send them the good news. God has not spoken to his people, has not moved with his glory. There's been 400 years of silence in Israel. And on the night God decides to reveal himself to his people once again, he sends the good news to just plain, ordinary people. To a group of shepherds. Just ordinary folks, Jesus says, or God says, I want you to know about Jesus. When we consider that, there's something that should stand out to us. There's something that that is noteworthy that we should remember. And that is this. God has no prerequisites in hearing and receiving the good news. The reality is this. God doesn't have a list and you have to check off things on the list before he'll let you hear the good news. God doesn't have a certain standard he's expecting people to measure up to before they can hear the good news. God's not expecting you to be a certain kind of person before he will let you know about the good news. The reality is God offers the good news of salvation and peace to all people, anyone who will receive it. Notice what the angel says in verse 10. I bring you good news of great joy. And who's it for? For all the people. For all the people. Not for the religious elite. Not for the socially prominent. Not for the powerful. Not for the influencers. Not for those who have their act together. Not for those who are morally sound. I bring you good news. It will result in great joy. It's for all the people. In John 13, or excuse me, John 3, In John 3, Jesus said this, for whosoever believes in me. In Romans 10, Paul said, for whoever will call upon the name of the Lord. In 2 Peter, the scripture says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, the good news is for all the people. There's no prerequisite you must meet for God to give you the good news. There's no prerequisite you must meet for God to offer you salvation. There is no one here disqualified from receiving the good news that you can be saved from the condemnation of sin and be at peace with God. There is no certain kind of person that God limits the good news to. God is not looking for the religious-minded or those who have good morals to give the good news to. God is not seeking out only the prominent or the powerful to offer the good news to. God is not reserving the good news for those who have their lives all figured out and their act all together. God is looking into a world of messed up people and simply saying, I love you enough to say, here's the good news. Do you want it? He offers it to everyone, irrespective of who we are. 
Listen to the words of Romans 2, beginning with verse 7. God imparts eternal life, glory, honor, peace, and immortality to all who have faith in Jesus. But to those who will not obey the truth, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish of the Jew first and also of the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. That text there in Romans 2 clearly says, God doesn't respect who you are or your position in life. He doesn't really have regard for what you've accomplished, not accomplished, or messed up in life. He simply says, if you have faith in Christ, I will give you eternal life, glory, honor, peace, and immortality. But if you reject Jesus, I will give you indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish without partiality. God offers it to everyone. The good news is for you. In Acts chapter 10, Peter's hanging out on a roof. He's chilling out there. God speaks to him and says, look, I need you to go spread the good news. You got to go to this guy named Cornelius, though. He's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. Peter's hung up about that because, you know, shouldn't the Jews be the ones who deserve the good news? Well, God had just got through teaching him a lesson. And it was still sinking in with Peter. God was trying to teach Peter that the good news is for everyone. I don't care what you think. When I say it's for everyone, it's for everyone. So Peter, well, he finally goes to Cornelius' house. He shares the good news with this group of Gentiles. They accept the Lord. But here's the comment Peter makes there in Acts 10. He says, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. In other words, the good news is for everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. Some of you today, you have heard the good news of Jesus. You realize that you're dead in sin, condemned in sin, but Jesus died on the cross to purchase your forgiveness. He was resurrected from the dead, victorious over sin and death to give you eternal life. You know that's the truth, but you've convinced yourself it's not for me because I don't have my act together. There's some things I've got to get lined out in life, or I'm just not the right kind of person, or God can't love me because of what I've done, or I've messed things up too much. Listen, the good news is for you. There's some of you who say, you know what? Yeah, that's all fine and good, but I'm a really good person. I do really good things. I've got morals that are just so high. I'm just such a religious person. I do a lot of good moral works, and I, got a, I do a lot of good religious works. Wrath and indignation is what he says he promises you if you don't have faith in Jesus. It's not about your religious works. Your moral behavior, it's about faith in Jesus. It's about the good news. And it's for you, of the highest moral caliber or the one who's messed up everything. The good news is for you. The good news that salvation has come into the world and there's peace with God. It's for you. The greatest gift at Christmas is not found under the tree, right? It was purchased upon the tree as Jesus bore our sins in his body upon the cross. He rose from the dead to offer us victory over death. Because of what he's done, God has offered us the gift of eternal life. Without regard to our position or our problems, the good news is for everyone if you'll receive it. You see, there's a divine revelation of Christ on the night he's born. 
And that divine revelation continues as people are exposed to the good news. Maybe some of you today for the first time, maybe some of the people listening online for the first time, understanding that you're condemned in sin, but there's eternal life through Jesus. Well, what happens when there is a divine revelation of Christ? Well, the second thing we see in this text, and that is a decisive response to Christ. Once there's a divine revelation of Jesus, once the good news is made known, then there is a decisive response to Christ. You see, the shepherds took personal action to respond to the good news they heard. You see there in verse 9 that initially they were fearful, right? At first, they were afraid. They were confronted with a holy messenger sharing a holy message. They're sinful men, and they fall down in fear in light of God's glory. They responded with fear at first. We can't blame them. The truth is, any time a person is confronted with the holy glory of God in light of their own sinfulness, they will fall down in fear. At least they should. But the shepherd's fear soon gave way to faith as they perceived the grace of God and the gift being offered, the good news that being shared. Their fear changed to faith. My friends, when we were first confronted with our sinfulness, when we were first confronted with our guilt before a holy just, righteous God. We were fearful. But we couldn't remain in that fear. That fear had to move the faith. Fear of condemnation gave way to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and peace with God. It's like the old hymn writer expressed. By God's word, at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I had spurned till my guilty so imploring turned. To Calvary. Yes, I was fearful for, before God's holiness, but that fear gave way to faith as I turned to Christ in faith. You see, the shepherds were fearful, but they didn't dwell in fear. They moved on in faith. What we see in their example is this. The good news requires a response every time. The good news requires a response when the good news is heard, the good news demands a response. And you respond one way or the other. In verse 15, we see the shepherds responded. They looked at one another. They said, hey, let us go. That's a response. Let us go. They heard the good news and they decided to do something about it. Let us go. They took off. They took action. They responded. They received the good news of salvation. The reality that there was peace with God. And they responded. My friends, that's the reality for everyone here right now. There's good news. Jesus has entered the world to bring forgiveness from the condemnation and curse of sin. 
He will impart to you peace with God through the gift of eternal life. That's the good news. Now you must respond. And you will. You will either respond with affirmation like the shepherds, or you'll tell God no, but you will respond. You have no choice but to respond. You see, we will either receive God's grace and mercy by accepting his gift of eternal life, or we will reject his grace and mercy and refuse his gift of eternal life, but we respond. Some people mistakenly think when they hear the good news, they can just kind of sit on it. Well, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm not going to decide yes or no. No, 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 no. If you just sit on it, you've already decided. You told God no. See, inaction is action. It is an answer, and it's no. It is no. There's no doubt that when a person is confronted with the good news, he or she does respond. There's no neutral position with God. A lot of times we like to ride the fence. A lot of times we don't want to make a decision. A lot of times in life we try to stay neutral, but that's not how it works with the good news of Jesus Christ. You either accept it or you reject it. You don't ride the fence with Jesus. You cannot be noncommittal. Noncommittal is an answer of no to the Lord. The shepherds took a decisive action to respond to the good news. And notice how they did it. Verse 16 reveals how they responded. It says there they responded with haste. They moved quickly. They acted quickly. They heard the good news and they quickly responded to the good news. They did not delay. They did not debate. They didn't weigh their options. They responded to the good news that God had sent, and they did it quickly. They didn't let barriers get in their way. They didn't let excuses stop them. Now, they had some excuses. These fellows were out keeping watch over flocks by night. Shepherds were financially liable for the flocks they tended. If something happened to the sheep, they had to pay for them. They had an excuse. Hey, I can't leave this. I'm working. I'm financially obligated. I have obligations here. I can't respond to this good news right now. I've got things I've got to take care of. They indeed were busy. They were living a busy life, doing a lot of things. They could have said, look, now we, we got kind of a hectic schedule. I just can't respond right now. They could have told themselves, now wait a minute. There's Mary and Joseph and a baby, and they're a young family. It's, they, that baby's just been born. They don't want to be bothered. We don't need to go bother them. They could have said, you know what? We're just lowly shepherds, and this is the Messiah, the King of the Jews. Who are we to approach him? We can't approach him. They had all kinds of excuses, all kinds of barriers. But they moved quickly to respond to the good news. Nothing would stand in their way. They would not allow any excuse to stop them from experiencing Jesus personally. They heard the good news and they responded and went and experienced Jesus for themselves personally. They met Jesus personally. Nothing would stop them. And here we are today, thousands of years later, and the reality is this. People still offer a myriad of excuses as to why they can't respond to the good news with, yes, Lord. People come up with all kinds of excuses why they won't respond to God offering them salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I'm too busy with this or I'm too busy with that or I need to wait longer till this. I need to be a little bit older. I need to accomplish this in life. I need to get that in order. I need to get this in order. This, that, and the other. But my friend, here's the thing. In the weight of eternity, in the weight of eternity, there is no excuse so important that it should keep you from responding to the good news of salvation offered in Jesus Christ. When you ponder eternity in hell compared with every excuse you can make, is there any excuse worth it? These guys were busy and they had some good excuses, but no excuse stopped them. They heard the good news and they took action to respond to the good news. And they went and they encountered Jesus personally. I wonder if there are those listening today The Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. You know. You're condemned in sin. You know that you've never received the good news of salvation, of forgiveness, of peace with God. You know that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin, that he was buried and rose again. You know that you need to call out to him. You know that you need to respond to this good news. But right now within your mind, there is such a battle as one excuse after another is being weighed. And you're trying to justify why you're going to tell him no. Is eternity worth it? Is eternity worth your pride? Is eternity worth your fear? Is eternity worth selfish desires? What are you holding on to that you won't let go of so that you can receive the good news of Jesus? You see, you had on that night a divine revelation of Christ. The good news was shared. And then you had a decisive response to receive and act upon that good news. I wonder if some here need to respond. There's one last thing I want you to notice from this text. One last lesson I want you to learn from the shepherds. There was the divine revelation of Christ. There was the decisive response to Christ. And the final thing we see is the the determined recounting of Christ. These fellows were determined to go and recount this good news to other people. They were determined that other people would know what they had come to know. After experiencing Jesus personally, the Bible tells us the shepherds went and they told others the good news that they were now aware of. Verse 17 says, they made known the sayings that had been told them. Some of your versions say they made widely known the sayings that had been told them. The shepherds went out and made sure other people knew what they knew about this good news that brings great joy. They made the good news known to other people. Here you have these simple, ordinary fellows. 
They're given the good news. They respond to the good news. They encounter Jesus. And they simply cannot keep that good news to themselves. They must share it with other people. There was something within them, a natural desire to tell people, you've got to know what we know now. You've got to, you've got to experience what we've experienced. I think you could describe these missionaries, or excuse me, these shepherds as missionaries. In fact, that's the way I look at them. I think these shepherds were the very first missionaries. Or maybe you want to call them the first evangelists. Or maybe the first ambassadors of Christ. Because they are the very first people who get the good news, go meet Jesus, then go tell other people. They're doing the Great Commission before the Great Commission's ever given. What an example they're setting. Goodness. They go tell others of salvation and peace that has entered the world. And the Bible says all who heard what they had to say wondered at their sayings. That means the people pondered it in their hearts. They pondered this good news that the shepherds heralded. Now we don't know if any responded or how anyone responded. The Bible doesn't reveal that. It simply says they pondered what the shepherds said. What that tells us is the shepherds had a very effective verbal witness because they verbally witnessed, they shared the good news, and the people who heard it pondered on what they said. At that point, it's between the person and the Holy Spirit as to the response. The shepherds did their job. What we see here, my friends, is that those who experience the good news of Jesus should share the good news with others. That's the example set for us right here by these shepherds. Once you experience the good news of Jesus personally, once you encounter the Lord yourself, you should go and share that good news with other people. Other people are to know the good news, the exciting news. The good news that brings great joy. There should be this internal urge within us to share the good news of salvation with others. There should be this internal push to share the peace that we've come to know so that others can know that same peace. There should be a natural inclination within us as children of God to let the good news be known. We have experienced these transformed lives through faith in Christ. And part of that transformation is this, this inclination, this burden to go and tell people the good news. It should be innate within us. Not only should it be innate within us, Jesus commands it in his scriptures. In Matthew 28, we know that it's the Great Commission. Matthew commands it. In Acts 1.8, he tells us to go be his witnesses basically everywhere. We need to be sharing the good news. You see, the shepherds had a distinct and successful verbal witness. They went and told the good news. But they had a second witness that was effective as well. They verbally witnessed, but also the shepherds' lives were distinctly marked by their interaction with Jesus. Their lives were different. 
When they encountered the good news and encountered the presence of Jesus, their lives were different. In verse 20, the Bible says the shepherds returned, and it says they returned glorifying and praising God. Their lives were different. The lives they lived after encountering Jesus were lives of worship. Lives that were affected by their encounter with Jesus. Distinctly marked, distinctly different. I really believe anyone who knew them would recognize that their lives were lives of worship because they had experienced this good news that brings great joy. They had encountered the Savior and now their lives were different. They were distinctly different because of their encounter with the good news. But the reality is, every person who encounters the good news, every person who experiences Jesus personally, really should come away distinctly different. When you really encounter the Lord Jesus in your life, you can't be the same. You come away distinctly different. When you come to the place of saving faith, The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, you come away different. There it says, the old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We come away a new creation in Christ. We went from spiritual death to spiritual life. We went from the dominion of darkness to being transferred to the kingdom of life. We went from being alienated from God to being one of God's children. We're born again. We're born from above. We're spiritually alive with a new nature. You come away distinctly different when you encounter Christ. So distinctly different that the world should take note. Peter gives us a description. Listen to this. This is out of 1 Peter 4. He says there that we should... No longer live the rest of our time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dispensation. Did you catch what that said? Peter said this. When you come to meet Jesus in a real way, your life changes so much that your old running buddies think you're strange because you don't act like you used to act. You don't talk like you used to talk. You don't do the things you used to do. The world you used to run with looks at your life and says, wow, your life is strange because you're not engaged in the things of the world like you used to be. Your life is so distinctly different. In fact, the lives of those who experience the good news should be distinctly different from the lives of worldly people. That's what happened to these shepherds. They heard the good news, they responded to the good news, and they went away changed. And if you would have encountered them out in those fields, you would have known, these guys are a little strange. There's something different about them. The Bible says when you encounter Jesus in a real way, Truly, personally, you come away different. And people can recognize it. 
You're spiritually alive. You're a child of God. You're so distinct from the world, they look at your life and think you're strange because you will not engage in the same actions, the same attitudes, the same words that they engage in. You're living on a higher level to a higher standard because you're a child of God now. Those around us should be able to recognize the transformation that takes place in our lives when we respond to the good news. You see, we're celebrating Christmas. And there's a lot of fun things to think about at Christmas. And there's a lot of nuances to the Christmas narrative we can study. But the bottom line is simply this. Christmas is about good news. The angel declared the good news, and he very plainly said, the good news is this, salvation has come. Do you know the good news today? Have you ever received the good news? Have you received the salvation Jesus has purchased for you on the cross so that you're at peace with God? It could be you're here today, and that's exactly what you need to do. You need to receive salvation, the gift of eternal life. Well, there's no magical ritual you have to go through. It is a personal act you personally carry out with the Lord, and you simply, in your own words, with the seriousness of your heart, would express something like this. Lord, I understand that because of my sin, I'm condemned. I know that because of sin, I have to be punished. But I really do believe Jesus died to pay for my sin. And I really do believe he rose again. And I really believe that Jesus can forgive me and give me peace with God. So right now, I'm asking Jesus, come into my life, forgive me, and give me peace with God. If you'll do that with sincerity... God will give you the gift of eternal life. You'll be forgiven. You'll have peace with him. Some of you are sitting here and you have no doubt. You're a born-again believer through faith in Jesus. But I wonder, how dedicated are you to going and letting that good news be known by others? When your friends, your family, your coworkers, the other students around you interact with you, can they tell there is a distinct difference in you because of your faith in Jesus? Or you just blend in to the crowd like everyone else? Do you make known the good news? Or you just button up your lip and let your friends and family die in sin? Where are you at today on that? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a time of invitation where you are invited to respond to God. Whatever you need to do with the Lord, if you need to receive salvation, maybe you already prayed during the sermon to to ask Jesus to be your Savior. I'm going to ask you to come down front. Let us pray for you. Talk to you a little bit about what to do next. Maybe you're here and you know you're a born-again believer, but you've become lax in being a witness for the Lord. Christmas hasn't been about the good news for you. It's been about the hype, the busyness, the revelry. Maybe you need to fall in repentance before God today and say, God, I'm sorry. Give me a burden to be your witness. I don't know what you need to do, but we're going to have a word of prayer. The altars are going to be open. Brother Dustin's going to come up here and be here for the invitation. 
when I pray, our candidate for baptism is going to go ahead and be getting ready. Let's pray and have our invitation. Father, thank you for speaking to us today. Thank you for giving us the truth of your word. And Lord, thank you for loving us and sending us the good news and not excluding anyone from it. I pray you'd help everyone here to know where they stand with you. Help every one of us know, are we at peace with you? Are we alienated from you? Those who need to call out to Jesus, give them courage and boldness to do that. Those who have called out to Jesus, give them courage to come and get some prayer and some advice on what to do next. And those who are your children, give us a burden, Lord, to share the good news. We give you this time of invitation now in the name of Jesus. Amen.